Welcome to the Dr. Bungill Podcast. I couldn't be more excited to have future NBA star Devin Kennedy here with us. Um, Devin's got an amazing story. I kind of know him because our, our world sort of collided through some mutual friends. And, uh, you know, I've just I've been hearing all about you, you know, over the course of the last few months. You know, you're a guard for the uh, for the Brooklyn Nets G League team here in Long Island. And, uh, you know, you got a really great story. I'm really excited to dive in, man, and learn more about you because I think your story is something that can really inspire a lot of kids out there man and you're not you're just a touch over being a kid man <laughs> i appreciate that thank you hey man thanks for being here um so just to give a little background Devin, you grew up in indiana um you went to princeton for undergrad where you played d1 basketball and uh you went from there you were, I, I believe you're undrafted actually out of undrafted undrafted yep and you hustled your way into the nba g league through playing i guess to the, for their summer league you were playing for okc in the summer league yeah you must have played pretty outstanding to get an offer from the nets right is that pretty much how it worked yeah, I, we can go into that at some point. But yeah, went, OKC, I was in the league with them and then got the call up uh, to go to training camp with the Nets. Okay, awesome, man. Yeah, so let's, let's just take it back, man, just because I know I have a lot of like high school athletes. A lot of high school kids actually listen to the podcast. And, you know, my son is a, my son, my middle guy is obsessed with basketball. So I told him that you're going to be on here today. So, you know, he's, <laughs> he, he, so I got I to wanted to hear how hard the road is, man. So you grew up in Indiana, obviously a huge basketball state. Um, you played high school ball. I imagine you were an outstanding high school ball player. Um, but just talk to me a little bit about like coming up playing basketball, you know, like what kind of, you know, how much effort went into that? You know, did you play in like AAU type stuff as well? And, you know, just a little bit of the background before you got to Princeton. Yeah. So when I grew up, basketball was my first love. My dad like put the Michael Jordan tapes in like VHS tapes in, um, on our, on our big TV, no flat screens, you know, it has the huge back in the back. Um, but that was the first, my first introduction to basketball, um, immediately wanted a hoop in our basement. My dad and I would like shoot Nerf hoop. Um, and I'm the first, you know, son and the first born in, in the family. So all the attention was on me for five years before my sister came in. They wanted me to get involved in a lot of sports, soccer, baseball, football, like flag football, basketball. And that multi-sport background carried all the way up through senior year of high school. I was a three-sport athlete in high school. Um, but with that being said, I did love basketball the most. And so I constantly, just strictly out of my love for it, played it all the time, outside of the park, in the backyard, in the front yard. Like literally, like our backyard was completely grass covered and I wanted to have, we didn't have money. So I go to my friend's house who has a concrete, you know, half court and ask my mom, can we get this? She's like, dribble on the grass. And probably the worst thing she could have said to me because six months later there's this half court dirt you know patch from me pounding the, the grass so I just love basketball we did play AAU um, went jump from team to team started out at the YMCA um, and that's once I got into that competitive field of AAU that's where I started realizing man I'm I'm doing really well against these kids like on a really consistent basis and I wasn't the biggest guy you know, I wasn't even the most skilled, but like my heart and my tenacity just like to play the game um, carried through. And it persisted into high school where I came off the bench my freshman year. Um, I had my first dunk actually like in the tryout, just came down fast break, dunked it and was like five foot nine. Like what? Like this is amazing. Um, I tried to like because I was like I was they put me and went to freshman and I knew I would deserve to be over there with the varsity guys. And so I was like, let me just dominate the freshman guys. Got a steal, came down, dunk. Every, like everyone was just like excited because these are my classmates, you know, guys I grew up with. So um, that was fun. And and then high school, high school came off the bench, uh, was on varsity. That that took me into my the career that I have now. Were you always a guard? 
Yeah, pr- primarily a, like a, a dominant scorer, not a dominant ball handler. Uh-huh. Um, in Indiana, again, like everyone's shooters, all roughly undersized. So I'm playing three, four, but just shooting and scoring because that's my, my ability. Gotcha. Yeah, I was actually watching some of your highlights. I, I feel like you go to the, the the Brooklyn Nets, the G League, the website. There's actually a whole bunch of highlights and stuff of you on there, which is oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, so I saw. I mean, obviously you're an amazing shooter, um, but you also penetrated a lot, which I saw, and you also like had some nasty passes. <laughs> yeah, so, so I imagine what were your other two sports when you were in high school? Track and football, and I played football all four years. All state, two of those years had looks and offers to play football, but decided to play basketball. What'd you play in football? Quarterback. Oh wow. All right, so let's talk about now. You're obviously an elite basketball player, elite athlete in high school. Schools are looking at you, it sounds like, for football and basketball. Um, so you, choose, you chose like a high academic school. You know, I'm sure you probably got scholarship offers from a bunch of schools, um, but you chose to go to the Ivy League. You went to Princeton. Um, what, what motivated that decision? Was your family like really hardcore into academics, or is this something that you inside were like, wow, I really want to go to like an Ivy League college? Like, what motivated that decision? I think the, the two biggest things, obviously, Ivy League, Princeton is the top, top of the top uh, when it comes to education. Um, my, both my parents, really no one in my family had graduated from college. And I, I, inside me, I wanted a challenge. I wanted a, like a tremendous challenge. And that challenge originally, I thought was going to be a, a Big Ten ACC school where I'm competing to play at the highest level, which inside I knew I could always play at. But those schools recruited me, but never offered me. So I had a lot of like 50 mid-major, low-major offers, um, a lot in the Midwest. I wanted to stay in the Midwest, be close to home. Again, now I'm the oldest of four siblings, first in my family to pursue college, pursue this avenue. And I wanted them to experience that with me. I wanted them to come to my games. I wanted them to be around, have my siblings see, you know, what I was doing. But when it came down to it, I was like, I don't have that big offer. I can, I know I'm going to be a professional basketball player. Like I, I have the goal written down since I was 12 years old. Like that's going to happen. I'm manifesting that into reality. Let me do that with an extremely, you know, hard challenge outside of basketball. And let me make this 40 year decision. That's not just for me, but for my family. I've told them I'm, I'm going, I'm leaving the nest. I'm, I'm going away from home. But I told my four younger siblings when I come back after this and when I play for the Indiana Pacers, that's what I told my youngest brother, I'll be back. And you'll be able to come to my games and, and things like that. Um, but I'm going to set that, set that standard, set the goal for our family that we're going to college. You know, that's, that's what we do now. And so I went to Princeton, and that definitely was a challenge that I, that I expected, <laughs> actually more so than I expected. So were you strong academically in high school? I was, I was good, not great. But, I mean, I got good grades. I didn't really have to try too hard to get the good grades. So because of my athletic ability, I, I would slack off a little bit and mess around in the classroom. And it really wasn't until my senior year where Princeton was like, your grades aren't good enough. You have to lock in your senior year. And most kids who, who commit their junior year, oh, I'm, I'm locked in. Well, I'm committed to the process. If I don't get in, I'm not going. So I really had to focus. And you can ask people like teachers, you know, classmates, like when they were having fun this my senior year, like I was retaking the SAT and then taking it again and then taking it one more time just for good measure and making sure I had like a 3.8 going like out of my senior year. So, wow. So you, so you were, you pretty much knew junior year that print, like Princeton was going to be the school. That was it. Uh, going into senior year, uh, they were really like one of my last offers. You know, I, I played in the EYBL Peach Jam, played really well. Um, had 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 some good offers. I really told Princeton's coach, and you can ask Brett McConnell. He he was recruiting me, and it was down between oh, the University of Ohio, Akron, 
Um, and then Butler was in the mix, but they never offered. And I wanted to stay close to home. But I told Princeton, it's a 99% chance that I'm not coming to your school. Um, wow. I, I like the coaching staff at Ohio. Um, I don't know if, if I want to do that. And literally before my first football scrimmage of my senior year, they were like, please just come visit. Maybe you'll, you'll change your mind. I made that visit. Five days later, I was a Tiger. It's a pretty intense environment, right? Like I've, I've been to Princeton a couple of times to visit some friends that were there. It's like an awe-inspiring school. I remember the first time I went there, I was like, wow. It like really just makes you feel like you're somewhere really important, where a <laughs> lot of really important have been. For sure. Yeah, man. That's, that's awesome, man. So, so they basically told you, listen, you got to get this much for your SATs. You got to get these kinds of grades after they committed to you? Basically, yeah. Okay. We want you to come here, but this is what you have to do for us to get here. And were they checking in with you like all, all the time? Yeah, they were nervous. Every time I took the test, they were nervous. Is he going to get the grades? Is he going to be able to come here? And then once I got that score, they had that big sigh of relief. And then I was, I was pretty good for the rest of the way. So when did you know? Like when, when, when in your senior year did you know? You were... <laughs> it wasn't, uh, honestly, January 15th, I got the letter. So I didn't know until January 15th that I was going to Princeton. I was committed since August, but I didn't know until January. And that was really, you know, nerve wracking and yeah. going through my senior year, not really knowing if that's where I'm going to go, but where I want to go. Did your family like lose their minds like that you were going to, I mean, that's an incredible accomplishment for someone who's the first person in their family to go to college, to go to like the top Ivy league school. And... Yeah. Yeah. My mom was on the visit with me at Princeton and we were walking through campus and we could just feel it. Like you said, when you're there, you feel like you're around greatness or like something amazing happening. And it just felt magical. And she was like, this is, I'm, I'm going to be very happy if you go here. I'm not telling you, you need to go here, but this can, this can do a lot for you. I think this is, what you're meant for Nick. you know this is within you it's always it always has been so I she was really that. happy so i love something else that you said earlier was when you were 12 years old you had written down that you're going to be an nba player um so having not been recruited by like the dukes and like the schools that are like you know you that you typically folks associate college basketball with um you know the folks that you, the teams that you always see in the final four and that sort of stuff when you went to Princeton, that, that's, you were like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be an NBA player. Like, that's my ultimate goal. It's amazing to look back and think that. But, yeah, it has never wavered. Like, I, since I was 12, I was like, I love this enough. I'm going to put enough work in. I'm going to be an NBA player. And I went to Princeton with that same mindset. And, you know, I, and, I, and I let Mitch Henderson, my head coach, know. He was from Indiana, the last player to play at Princeton from Indiana. And that's really what that connection was. Um, he went to the NCAA tournament. He had a chance to, to play in the NBA. He was at training camp with the Atlanta Hawks. So I knew that there was a path. And I was like, well, I'm going to go down that path, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to complete it. How many guys from Princeton have played in the NBA? I think when um, I was with Brooklyn or when I was, you know, originally with Long Island, they put, like, an article out, and they said there's been 20 um, – there's been 20 – was it like Nobel Prize winners and 10 NBA players in like the past 50 years? I saw that article. That's yeah. all. Talk to me a little bit about Princeton. So, you know, you're a kid from Indiana, never left really home, you know, right? That was your first time really away from home. I'm sure you went yeah. to tournaments and places, but you never like were living away from home. Right. So you're at Princeton and like you are a basketball player. So you have like your crew, like you have the, the basketball guys who you guys probably got to campus early, got to know each other, that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's going, but it's a really different world from where you grew up. Like, you know, were you a roommate? Like, was your roommate or did you, from like a, an athlete or was it just some random roommate that they assigned you? <laughs> he was a chemist and we had a, we had a one room double. So his bed right here, my bed right here, the doors right here. 
we walk in, we go to our, our beds. And honestly, like I have, I have never, I had never met more of an introverted person who was so between the ears. I'm like a pretty, you know, like energetic guy. I can go talk to really anyone in a room. And, and we were in that room together and I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't get through to him. Like I, I was trying, you know, Hey, you want to come to a game or something? I'm going to the lab. And for me, the lab was the gym. And for him, the lab was literally the lab, like, experiments and so I mean actually throughout our career like our Princeton career when we'd see each other on campus it would get to be more of a hey and then how are you doing and so maybe that campus environment helped him in the same way it helped me you know you know open my open my wings and you know stuff like that but he was a chemistry major from Rhode Island we said probably 25 words to each other my freshman year that's crazy man wow were you like losing your mind (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure for sure like I get back to my room after a tough day want to like throw stuff around he, and he would like actually never leave the room like he had his lamp on the whole time and yeah. you know I was like man this is this is a different experience wow so when you're a college basketball player is it is this I know the season is very defined but are you basically playing basketball all year like there's you know obviously training for the season then there's the season and the season ends you know hopefully goes into March but you know might end in Marchish right after the Ivy League tournament or if you get to the, did you guys get to the tournament while you were there my sophomore year, we did. You did? Okay, cool. So then you went into March. Then you still have some time after school. Is basketball shut down until the summer after the season ends? I think we're off until after spring break or after midterm, something like that. There's a, there's a time where um, during the season there is a break. Okay. So but pretty much it's a full year thing, essentially, more or less. Right? Yeah, yeah, for the most part. So talk to me a little bit about juggling. Like when, First of all, you got there, you had to kind of really – you know, get your academics in order to go there. You're there freshman year, you're playing basketball, new environment, never been away from home. And also you're taking like Princeton classes. Like, a, is it a full course load that you guys are taking? Yeah, we're, we're Princeton students first. And then the athletics is secondary. Um, their, their motto is education through athletics. So, you know, they, they definitely emphasize, you know, having a strong athletic core and, and values, but it's all wrapped up in education. So, it was, it was, you're getting your schoolwork done and then you do, you do the basketball stuff. Unlike at the big schools where you're here to, to make money for us and that's a whole different topic, but it was definitely being a student first. So talk to me about that. Like, what, what was that like? Was it like super challenging? Like, you know, you're with like, the smartest kids in the world, essentially, you know, like they're like the NBA players of academics. It literally is. It's exactly how that is. So it was definitely challenging. And I honestly, it was probably challenging up until I got this degree and I technically am going to get the degree in five days when we do our virtual graduation. So it was, it was tough the, the whole time. I finally, I got into a groove, I'd say a little bit into my freshman spring, but definitely my sophomore year. Um, it was, it was one of those things. My first semester, I was like, mom, I'm coming home. Like I want to be an MBA, but, but it's not going to have it here because I don't think I'm going to make it uh, academically. I, I figured it out, but I mean, the first, the first, real course that I struggled in I got a D like my freshman fall and was like people are talking oh 4.0 this 3.9 that and I'm like no I'm not cut out for this I want to play basketball and I want to challenge but this is too much wow so how did you overcome that man I mean it's it's not like you just okay I'm just gonna turn it up another gear you're probably setting your ass off the whole time (laughs) yeah and it was just learning it was like it was it came like I said about high school it came easy to me I didn't really have to work too hard to get decent grades but I literally had to work really, really hard at Princeton to get decent grades. And to my credit, I ended up finishing slightly over 3.0, but I, I've struggled through a couple of Ds and like 
to, to come back from a couple of D's and you had to get a couple of A's. And those A's, I would really, I'd say I was really interested in the courses. Like when I had a really strong interest in this is a liberal arts school. So you're taking a bunch of different kinds of courses, labs, sciences. Um, but once I was in my sociology courses, which is my major, um, and really was talking about social mobility, like understanding like social struggles and like what are the ways to overcome these things, I would lock into those readings. Like I'd stay up till 2.30 actually interested in the readings. And then also I had a lot of good mentors on campus and alums from Princeton who basically walked me through this. How I, here's how I managed it. And everyone goes through it. Uh, you're not alone in my background being the oldest being the first one to go through this asking questions or asking for help is literally is the last thing that I want to do I'm going to figure it out to like the nth degree on my own before I even think about asking someone and going and challenge the challenge of uh, the academics at Princeton taught me you're not going to you're not going to see that way and so I asked questions I went to study groups I was vulnerable in my academic experience to like ask my peers who are literally the smartest people in the world help me and they were, okay, like, this is a basketball player. Like, I get to help him. Like, and, and then it was just kind of like that, that natural fusion. Right. Man, that's awesome, man. And I, I, I think that's really just a testament that, you know, even though you were outside of your comfort zone, I mean, you were in your comfort zone as, as a basketball player, but you were outside of your comfort zone academically, like really leaning on mentors, seeking out mentors. And it's a hard thing to do sometimes, even asking your peers who, you know, are more skilled in that world for help you know it takes a lot of courage to do that but you know but then you, when you when you do ask for help you really do realize that people really do want to help you like a, a lot of folks are invested in your success like yeah they want to see you do well you know that's and, so true and, and that's it a, really is like a really beautiful thing that you learn the more you ask for help the more you see people in this world we're all kind of in this together the right people are you know <laughs> yeah um so listen i want to fast forward a little bit so you know you're going through princeton you, fig you figured it out freshman year sophomore year junior year everything's kind of going and then january of junior year i think it was january of your junior year senior year senior your senior year okay so yeah, right at the tail end so you're almost right there before all this stuff goes down were was there interest from nba teams at that point so my name never got onto the actual draft board but if you're looking statistically like my junior summer i was actually interning in chicago with a princeton basketball alum with my senior teammate we were co-captains that year. So we're living together in Chicago. Um, and at Princeton, unlike most college basketball programs, and I'll say college basketball programs because it's not at, at their institutions. It's literally basketball programs. Kentucky, you don't think of the school, you think of the basketball team. So for us, we're, we're two, I'd say, of probably the top 10 players that have gone through Princeton history. And we did that in the same class. He was like a slasher defender. I'm a shooter. He got a charismatic guy like that. So we had like opposing, like, um, characteristics, but a strong un like unit. And we're going into our senior year after a disappointing junior year, and we're locked in. Like we're ready to, to to attack it, to get back to the tournament and win games. And that was a belief that we thought we could actually do, and which was happening at that point during our senior season. But statistically, I hadn't heard from NBA teams. I was hearing from agents. I was hearing from a lot of agents actually. And so, what were the agents telling you? Well, the agents were reaching out to my mom. They were reaching out to my family. They were reaching out to family friends. I heard from some, like some would be at games, just posted up waiting for me after the game. Like say a couple words, like I'm, I'm watching, like you're doing really well, like keep it up. Like, you know, like let's talk soon. And so this is just outside pressure. This is just outside influence on a season where I'm just trying to focus on, focus on being the best version of myself, be the best person I can be on the court to my teammates. 
which I really thought I was doing. And I really felt confident in what I was doing. And then something kind of just switched at the end of December, early January, where my mind took over in the sense that like I was feeling an unsurmountable amount of pressure um, from the outside. Like about what, about being an NBA player, making it to the NBA? Like, yeah, yeah, it was literally like I couldn't sleep. I couldn't focus on schoolwork. I was like, I, I need to be, and, and I was like shooting poorly. Like I wasn't, like I was at first averaging like 22 points, five threes a game, 50%, like, like crazy numbers that I had prepared myself for this year. We were winning, we were, we were having a good success, but I, was, I had so much pressure, um, basketball related, even family related, like school related. And I'm, I'm not gonna get into the details of each one, That's um, but there was just a lot of pressure like going on in my head. Like I'm, I'm playing out scenarios in my head, like if, if then, if this doesn't happen, then this. And I was like, it was, it was, it was like to a point where when that day, yeah, I think it was January 17th, January 18th happened, um, and made a, a few, few bad decisions. Um, and there, you know, there's, there's, there's articles out there about, you know, that night and stuff like that. Um, and it came to a point where I, I crashed and I, and I fell off my pedestal that I kind of put myself up on and had to, had to pick myself up, which was not an easy process. Yeah, man. And, uh, and thank you so much for being so open and honest about it. Cause you know, a lot of times like someone's darkest hours before like the brightest light that they see, you know? Um, and I think for you, just kind of knowing, I don't know the exact linearity of your story, but it sounds like, you know, it was a really bad time. You know, you got into some trouble. You were a kid. You screwed up. It happens, you know. But you have the pressure of the world on your shoulders, and it feels like life is over, you know. But you left, end up leaving Princeton, and you really worked on yourself, it sounds like. You know, again, seeking help, maybe getting some therapy, talking to some folks, working through whatever anxiety or depression led to bad decision-making, you know, getting into trouble that one night. Um, and then you actually played the summer league, right? You, that summer? Was it that summer? It was that summer. It was a quick turnaround. It felt like an eternity. I, I hear it again, you know, not getting into the, the nitty gritty of that situation, but yeah, the anxiety and the depression that I experienced, the anxiety that led up to that. And then the anxiety of how do I overcome that? And the depression that followed that. Like, how am I going to, like, I lost my whole sense of being, like, my identity was shaken because I hadn't gotten in trouble before. You know, again, like, the leader of my family, like, I, I, I prided myself on doing the right thing all the time, at right. least trying to. Suspended for the team, and then you ended up leaving the team, and, you know, right before you were supposed to go, graduate from Princeton and go to the NBA. So Hardest just, decision. Hardest decision ever, but a decision I had to make for myself, and it was just... I felt like, again, the world was crumbling down. My world was crumbling down. And it took me – I didn't play basketball. I didn't touch a basketball for two and a half months after that. Wow. So talk to me a little bit then about – so just kind of like for the listeners so they have some sort of sense of you – know, you, can, you can read about these articles online. But Devin got in a little bit of trouble. He had some trouble with the law one night, just being a little bit intoxicated or whatever it was. He was a college kid. This is what happens sometimes. But because he's the superstar at Princeton – the lights are shining on you, like, you know, it just becomes a bigger deal, which adds more stress and, you know, more anxiety and all of these sorts of things, I imagine. And again, you're also the oldest in your family, the first supposed to graduate from college from an Ivy League school. So there's all of these pressures in your life. And, I, and forgive me if I'm kind of like just <laughs> lumping it all into like one story, but I just want to kind of paint a picture of like, you know, you're at the top of your game, you're going to graduate at Princeton, then they're going to try to get into the NBA your world crumbles. And then talk to me about that moment withdrawing from Princeton and then 
playing for OKC in the summer league? Like, how does that happen? Yeah, that was, I'd say in that gap was the biggest growth process for me. And what for, to me felt like it was just a straight shot down was really just an opportunity to, to grow and to learn about myself. And obviously I didn't want it to happen that way. I didn't want to get in trouble. I did. And I didn't want to feel the way I did afterwards, but I, but I still did. And, and I, need, I literally needed to be with my family. I needed to seek therapy. I needed to talk through a lot of the things that have been built up over a lifetime of family things, of being, being, having this pressure of being the guy, the star and not, and being the guy in the star, but also feeling that I'm not worthy enough of the Kentucky, the Duke, the Notre Dame, the, the schools that I feel. And this is again, like this, this, this constant drive that I had of being this, but like ne never being seen as that. And so it's like, you're, you're battling these two things. Here's your perception of yourself, but here's how others are viewing. But like, I know my value and it was just kind of never seen in that sense. So during that from February to May, which is when I had my pro day with my then agency Octagon, um, I, I really didn't touch a basketball for two and a half months, did therapy twice a week, uh, was home battling nightmares and you know, waking up at 4 a.m. in cold sweats, you know, anxiety and depression. Um, but then I, my family really was like, look, you can stay in this, this kind of mindset. Um, you can, you can be, pity yourself and never forgive yourself. Um, that's not gonna, that's not gonna help you in the long run. You have to forgive yourself. Um, I got baptized into the Catholic church on Easter of last year. Um, something I wanted to do at Princeton, I really lost touch with my faith. I really lost touch with all those things. I was like, felt like alone. That's was something I told my mom, I feel alone. And you're never alone with God. You know, he's always got your back. Got, um, you know, and I, and I really like kind of had to, had to lean on that the most I've ever had. And I've continued to just understand, you know, the purpose, you know, my plan and his purpose. Um, and with that and that forgiveness, I really was like, okay, I can, I can attack this in a, in a healthy way. I can come back from this. I don't know what the outcome will be, but I know I love basketball. I know I've been gifted with these talents. Let me try and get back up on the horse. Um, signed with Octagon, literally was watching Princeton play basketball in March, which was tough, but the see that season was over. And I was like, let me go out to Phoenix, train for this, um, this NBA draft. I don't know if I'll get drafted or not. You know, I'm obviously you have to answer these questions, um, but I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about a couple questions. I want to play basketball. Um, had a great pro day with Octagon. I worked out with six NBA teams. The Nets were one of them. The Thunder were one of them. And at, after draft night, I had a party, not even to celebrate, is he going to get drafted? Mm -hmm. Just to celebrate, look where, where we're at. You know, after all this, look where we're at. You know, we're having the options there. You know, he worked his butt off, he worked his tail off to get to this point. Let's just celebrate that. He's not graduating, but we're kind of graduating into like a new chapter. And so let's just, let's just um, celebrate that. So I had family and friends over. Did obviously draft not happen, no draft. My agent called me like an hour and a half later, which was again, another tough hour and a half. Am I gonna have an opportunity or not? Oklahoma City wants you to actually come down to Oklahoma City and be in a mini camp with them in three days. Can you, can you be ready to go in three days? They want you at Summer League. Back up one second. So the pro, the pro day was before all this? It's before the draft? Yeah, the pro day is, is, is like a month before the draft. All 30 NBA teams, coaches, execs, everybody, they're in this facility in Phoenix watching myself work out, the other you know, athletes under the Octagon agency. We have Cam Reddish, who was a fourth pick or something like that. So they were all there. And, and you performed well? Like that, even though not, you didn't touch a basketball for a couple of months before? <laughs> I hadn't touched a basketball. I, I probably played, I was, played basketball for like a month leading up to that. But two and a half months before that, no. And to, to, my, so to that point, 
we did this drill where it's like a, um, the OKC 100 or the Oklahoma 100. And you, you have 100 shots, 25 catch and shoot, a couple off the dribble, a bunch of different series so the teams can see your strengths. And shooting is one of my strengths. I think I hit 88 out of 100. Wow. Which is like pretty – like I don't think I've touched that one since. I think I've gotten like 82. But that day was like I felt like I could just, just throw it and it was going to go in. I felt like – I personally felt like it was beyond me. Like I had like overcome this thing and like God was like, here, I'm, let, me, let me send some blessings down your way. I think I made 36 in a row at one point. And like wow. every, every time I jogged back to the back of the line, I was like, there's 30 NBA executives watching me and this is what I do. Again, that 12-year-old me who wrote this down, this day right here is going to be a very important day uh, to get to that goal. So, yeah, I did really well that pro day. All right, so then we'll fast forward to the draft. Nothing happened not, – not the outcome you were looking for at the draft. And then OKC called you the day after the draft? Yeah, an hour and a half after the draft ended, I was on their summer league roster. And so then I traveled to o OKC three days later for about three-week minicamp before the um, Las Vegas summer league in July. Which is a huge deal. For, I, mean, I just know about it through Rasan because um, he was down there in, in Vegas and he was telling me about it. So it, it's, a, it's basically it's G League guys and all the guys who were drafted and guys who were signed like yourself, right? And yeah. How long is the whole summer league? It's, you're out in, in Vegas for 10, 15 days. <laughs> so it's hot and it's Vegas. And I'm a rookie who had just gotten in trouble. So I was like, I'm staying in my hotel room for 15 days. Smart man. Yeah. So when you get – you go through that and then teams have a chance to look at you, see how you're playing in an actual game, like competitive game setting with other elite basketball players. And then at that point, you have an opportunity. Some of those guys are already signed to the G League, right? That are – Yeah. Technically, they haven't signed to the G League. Um, they had played in the G League. But everyone's goal is to get a training camp call, get that extra 50K that, that NBA teams will provide you to come to their training camp, um, hopefully getting a two-way contract. Um, and then the G League, it just like there's there's different tiers in the G League that I've that I just learned about this year. And I thought if you're in the G League, you're in the G League. But there's a, a political system to the G League. You have the NBA guys who come play down. You have the two way guys. You have the Exhibit Ten guys, which I was this year. The training camp guys. You have the tryout guys. It's just like in the draft guys. There's a G League draft later in the year, which my which the same teammate of mine got drafted to the Long Island Nets this oh, year. Yeah, Princeton. The other guy. Yes. Yeah, Crazy. the guy who my senior teammate who was in Chicago with me, he got drafted in the second round to Long Island. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, just so like my viewers, like uh, our listeners, will understand. So you basically did the summer league with uh, OKC. What happens? How did you end up with the Nets then after that? So it's a it's an interesting, and this is honestly like the theme of my career. It's just when opportunity knocks, you answer. Um, and you're not going to get many opportunities because you're just overlooked. I've been overlooked, and that's just a fact, okay? Like, in high school, I wasn't picked for the junior all-star team, but then senior year, I was on the all-star I was the last person who made the all-star team for the Indiana All-Stars, which in Indiana, again, basketball state, is literally just like, I made it. For most kids who don't play competitive college basketball, Indiana All-Stars is their thing. I, I deserved to be on the team my junior year, didn't get it. Senior year, I was the last person. They literally told me, a lot of people don't want you on the team, but I want you on the team. And in the Indiana All-Star you know, championship game against Kentucky All-Stars, I was the MVP. Wow. It's just the moral of the story. I'm not saying I'm better than anyone else. I'm just saying, like, when opportunity knocks, I've, I've answered that call. Right. And so in the, for the summer league with OKC Thunder, my first four games, I was told I was going to be a role player in the summer league. I played one minute in the first four games. 
So I'm in Las Vegas, staying in my hotel room, having this opportunity. Every summer at, in college, when I, I'd watch the summer league, I'd have on my laptop while I was in the gym at Princeton and just like being like, okay, one day I'm going to be there. Like, like I'm watching the summer league, watching the NBA combine literally with my laptop, but I'm in the gym. I didn't want to sit on my couch and watch it because I was like, I should be playing basketball right now. So I'm there. I'm literally on the bench. I'm sitting there. You can look at my IG posts. I post a picture of me on the bench like, all right, you know, like we're close, but we're not there yet. And, um, and I play one minute in the first four games. The last game, they basically benched all their guys who are on like their roster, like the OKC roster, their G League roster. They're like, let's give the other guys opportunity. And then I was the leading scorer in that game. And that is where I think Brooklyn perhaps or some other teams were like, here's what he did with that limited time. Let's just – let's it sparked their interest. So that's when I, I played well in that last game, 20 minutes, led the team in scoring. And then it was another waiting game on who's going to pick me up. I don't know where I'm going to go. But I do know that I want to finish this degree. So I told my agent, look, let's find a situation where I can finish this degree and someone who wants me to play, like, I don't know how that's going to happen, but let's see what happens. So how long after the summer league ends until you uh, sign with Brooklyn? So summer league ended July 15th, and I didn't know my fate of my basketball career until October 15th. So were you back at Princeton? Did you go back to Princeton then at that point? So I, I decided – I signed all the paperwork to, to finish my last semester at Princeton, um, but that was another big gap because that school didn't start until September 11th, actually. Um, and so in the meantime, I actually went back to Chicago, continued that internship from the previous year with the Princeton mentor of mine, John Rogers, who's been phenomenal in this process. And it was like, okay, I'm going to train in Chicago. I don't know where I'm going to be. I know I'm not going overseas. That's just out of the question. I want to finish school. Is OKC going to call me back? Uh, any of the teams that I worked out for have interest in me? And the, the, the really blunt and brief answer that my agent gave me was, no, you really have no options. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, what are you doing for me? You're my agent. I should have options. They're like, people aren't, aren't picking you up because they don't know from what happened in January. Like, is he going to be this kind of guy? Like, and again, it like was a, a, a shot at my character that night. But I was like, I know myself. They should know me. Like, but, but they don't. And they're not going to waste time to just to make excuses for me. So I was like, well, look, dude, I'm going to go to Princeton in September start finishing my degree. Um, and he's like, the Nets still have interest in you. They just don't know in what capacity. And so it wasn't until October 15th that I actually went up to Brooklyn and signed that Exhibit 10 contract and went to um, training camp with them. So what does Exhibit 10 mean? What, is that, what does that mean exactly? That's just a commitment that you'll go to training camp with Brooklyn, the parent team, and then when they cut you, if you don't make the roster, which the, for them it's like we're going to bring you on just to cut you so that we can have your rights in our G League organization. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So were you working out for other teams in that little, in that gap period? Like would other teams say, Hey, come work out for us or anything like that? Or No, I had no, I had no interest calls. I was just working out in the rec center at Princeton, not even the main gym at Princeton. I was back on campus doing my schoolwork, working out in the rec center with any you know, of the students. And they're like, well, what are you doing back? I was like, I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm just finishing some classes and getting ready to play in the NBA. That was, that's all I said. I'm just getting ready to play in the NBA. So there's like a few things that I want to touch on there, man. You said so much stuff. So one is self-belief, how important self-belief is, because every step of the way you believed in yourself more than others believed in you, you know, and, and that's what really carried you through, you know, when you didn't, when you should have been on that Indiana all-star team in your junior high school and you weren't, you didn't say, man, F basketball, I'm done. Like, you know, you're like, no, no, I'm, 
deserve to be there. I know I deserve to be there, and I'll be there next year. And then even the next year, like it was a struggle for you to get on the team, but you're like, you know what? I'm I can ball with the best of them, and you're the MVP of the game. But that's comes from here, man. Like you know, that's inside of you, you know. And even and even when your experience in the summer league, and this just goes to show, man. Twenty minutes of playing is what really opened the door for you, you know, like a door that was shut. It was they basically wrote you off essentially. Like, oh, we, you only played one minute in the first four games. They're working on these other guys, and you had a twenty minutes, man. Twenty. <laughs> minutes to really make something happen for yourself. It's really how it goes. That's really the the, the the window of opportunity. I feel like at this level, that window of opportunity just gets smaller and smaller. Yeah, and you know the value of self belief, man. And you really just. Nine out of ten people would have shut themselves out and be like, you know what, forget it. This team doesn't believe in me. Don't these people don't believe in me? Why am I going to play hard? You know, or you know, forget this. I'm done with this. And you know, really, that's a real testament to your character, man. Because you're a kid still, man. And to me, you're still a kid. You know, and uh, and you know, it's, it's really very impressive that at such a young age, like you had that much self belief. You're going back to your high school days. You know, so I think that's amazing, man. I think that's something that's. Anyone can learn from that, man. That that really is amazing. So, talk to me about your. So, did you switch at eight your agents then? At like, so you said like, uh, what was it in Oracle? Was uh, it was Octagon. So Octagon has like Giannis and Steph, and and for me, I mean, you there's articles, there's people have constantly, oh, you're like a baby Steph. Like you know, I have a picture on my Instagram with Steph Curry. I met Steph at a game actually in Brooklyn, my senior year. Um, and I was like, man, after the, after the whole incident and when I was looking for agencies, that was the biggest and most reputable agency. And it was like, look, I'm already being compared in, in some ways, obviously not in it my entirety, um, to Stephen Curry. Why not just go to the agency, you know, that represents him and has at least connections with him. And it's going to at least be a, a good look for me and, and like, oh, well, this agency, which is very reputable, is going to take him on. That was my way of thinking. And I signed a, an agent who obviously told me he was going to do certain things for me. And he obviously got me into a great situation with Brooklyn um, and Long Island. But throughout the year, it was just a constant like negotiation with him to continue to work for me the way that I wanted. And at the end of the day, it's my career. So it's nothing against my old agent. It's just simply the, the business and what I was looking for he specifically didn't fill that role. So after the season, um, literally once they sent me home for uh, the coronavirus, we just had that conversation that, you know, I appreciate his work, but you know, I had to look for someone else. Gotcha. Okay, so let's go, let's just step, take it back a little bit. So then you're on the NBA G League, you're the G League team for the Nets. You're having an amazing season. I think you were averaging like 14 points, something points a game. I mean, if you just look at your highlight reel, it's pretty sweet. Like, you know, you really <laughs> just dom you dominated a bunch of games. So things are going good, right? And tell me like a little bit about what that's like. Like at that point, I like from what I understand, like either like you do really well in the G League, either the Nets will take you on or you some other team says, Wow, we need a guy like Devin, you know, like a sharpshooter on our team and then like another team picks you up. What is there any of those conversations happening? I don't even know if you can even talk about it, but is there any like, you know, are you hearing buzz and you know, like is it things are kinda of like, Wow, I'm really gonna make it into the NBA? Yeah, yeah, and that's the, really what the G League provides guys like me is you're really trying out every day. As much as I want to be with Brooklyn, which I do, you know, I want to I want to help out Kyrie, I want to help out KD. Again, I know what I can do, and I and after watching the Last Dance, you know, with the Chicago Bulls and a guy like Steve Kerr, like I can come in in a specific role and knock down 45% of my threes. Like 
without question. That's what I do. That's what I will continue to do. Like as I literally was looking back at my high school stats just because I was talking um, with a friend about our high school stats. And I didn't even, it goes unrecognized, but my senior year of high school, we went 19 and one. In the last game, we should have still won. We honestly should have won undefeated in one state, but some things happened. I remember I had a bloody jersey or like a bloody elbow, and I was out for the four minutes of the fourth quarter in, a, in Indiana with no shot clock, and they ended up coming back and beating us. But I shot 90%, 91% from the free throw line, which has been consistent. I shot 91% in college, my college career. And then this year, I shot 94% from my state. So in high school, I was 90% from the free throw line, 52 from the field, and 45 from the three in a role where I'm being like literally hawked every night. Like this is a guy, this is a guy, this is a guy. Efficiency, college efficient. First year, eh, not as efficient as I wanted to be, but I was, I was experiencing basketball from a new perspective. You know, it was, the game's much faster. Um, there's scouting reports. People knew me as a shooter, so they're running me off the line. And now I'm finishing against the best big men who are not in the NBA. And so that's what this off season's about. But long story short, yeah, like you're, you're trying out for, all NBA teams, every single NBA team. Um, you can get called up by anybody. That didn't happen, obviously, this year. I, I was finally finding my groove in those last five games, averaged over 20 points, really picked it up on the defensive end. So for me, it just gave me a lot of confidence going into next year. Obviously, I wish the season continued. Maybe I would have gotten a call up. But at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, I'm in a really good position for, for myself, not even from an outsider's point of view, but I'm growing. Literally, I see myself growing in the game that I love. I'm right there. I'm really close. And again, hopefully it's with Brooklyn. Hopefully I can be that piece that they need that they can find for cheap. I'm kind of selling myself right now. So if they see this, you know, it's going to be a, you know, I'm a cheap asset and I can knock down shots. So, but I can do that for anybody. And that's going to be what gets me in the door and, and allow, allows me to stay. Cause I'm, cause I'm growing in all other aspects. So is the plan currently to go back to the Nets G league team, when they open that when things, I guess next season at this point, right. They shut things down. Yeah, I mean, again, my new agent, we're, out, we're obviously open to every option. We're going to look at every option. But I know Matt Riccardi, and he's a Long Island Nets GM. We have a really good relationship. And I, I, tr I trust him and believe the plan that they have in place for me. And I think another year, um, at least on some level, where I'm getting experience in the G League to just continue to work on my craft, um, it's going to make, you know, tremendous leaps for me at the next level. And I believe, you know, after this summer and going into next year, whenever that season starts back up that I'm going to be much more prepared than I was at this point last year um, to play at the NBA level. Cool, man. A couple of things I know we're kind of run, run, running short on time here, but a couple of things I just want to ask you, man. One is, is the game like so incredibly different from college to the G league? Like, is it just like a, the players are like so much better and it's just like a totally different game. Do you, do you, do you feel that? It is. No, it really is. Like the G league is a, is a tremendous league in college just the way the game is played, just literally just how the game is played is completely different. You have these strategies and two, three zones and zone presses and college, and that's not happening at the next level. The game is played faster. The guys are much more talented across the board. Guys who don't even play in the G League, even on our team, would tear it up in college. And so I see these college players who are really good. High school players, like the high school players are going to come into the G League as well. They're tremendously talented, but it's a whole different level. And you obviously have to be extremely skilled. You have to be smart. Um, in the game in the seasons longer so you have to sustain it and that's that's i think the hardest part for a lot of guys and then what about between the g league and the nba is that is that like another notch yeah another notch yeah and that's why they call it the nba you know and that in the nba g league you know obviously guys can play at that level but those are the best players in the world hands down it's amazing to me like because i've been to a couple of g league games and i've obviously been to tons of nba games 
from like a spectator's perspective, it's it's hard to really recognize. They're both like fast-paced games. You guys are nailing threes and stuff, you know. And even when you watch college, you know. But it's amazing to me that there's that there's that many notches of excellence in basketball, you know. Yeah. You know. And uh, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is I saw one of your videos where you were talking about uh, your shooting routine and like what your practice routine is like. And one of the things that we were talking about when we we're scheduling this podcast was like you know there was a certain time in the day where it fits into your routine. And I, I, I that I, that really, and I love. I wanted to learn more about that because I think, especially now with the way the world is and everyone's routines are out of whack and work schedules out of whack and you know the world is sort of falling apart in terms of maintaining like a regimented day to day routine. Can you talk to us a little bit about like you know what your practice routine is like, what you, how you maintain your routine, and a little bit about how you practice? Because I think kids need to learn how much work is involved. It's not like, okay, Devin is an awesome shooter and he was always an awesome shooter. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into that. A lot of like, you know, the 10,000 hours, a lot of sweat equity that's put in when no one's watching, when you're in the gym by yourself, you know, you learn, you read all these things about Kobe, everyone watched the last dance, you know, it's the best of the best are working harder than everyone else too, you know? Yeah. Be a little bit about that. Yeah. The routine. And and you actually caught me at a really good time because I'm not going to lie. Like, quarantine disrupted my routine for a good month and a half and it really so my birthday was May 21st so a couple days ago turned 24 and and back to the Kobe mindset that mama mentality like it just struck a chord with me like you know I'm in another year of life you know 23 was a grind you know just getting back into you know just understanding like again like believing in who I am like to the fullest extent and after the season and with you know corona everything it's been cool to just kind of shut down be with family relax um, but really around that time, I was like, let me get, like, let me ramp my routine back up. Like, let me be very diligent and like hold myself accountable. And I think that's the word, like you're, you have to be diligent work and like, in t- and be very intentional. And so as a shooter, they talk about, you know, you have guys who make money just teaching people how to shoot and it, it's not science. It is, it, there is a science to it. And it's simply just being consistent with your form, you know, and in order to do that, again, it takes a lot of work. And so when I go to the gym, and I'm just going to talk about my basketball routine before I get into like my overall routine. But I get to the court, obviously I lace up my shoes the same way every time. I, I made a post about it on Instagram, like be, you know, diligent with the first thing. Like this is routine. Like my shoes have to be tied tight. And this is back to John Wooden. Some of his words, it's if you don't take care of your, your, your shoes and it's going to affect your ankles, your knees, your hips, and inevitably your shot. And so let me just make sure my shoes are on right <laughs> first and foremost. And then my routine with shooting, you know, I, I always start close. I do my form shots. I do it even with Long Island. I try to be the first one on the court like three hours before the game and just make sure like if I have a window to shoot and work on that routine, that form, I'm going to do it because again, you may only get 20 minutes. You may only get two minutes. And, I, and at the next level, I might get 20 seconds. And in that 20 seconds, I've literally practiced it over and over and over again. That that's all the time I need to get off of a shot and be confident that I'm going to make it. Um, and so literally like you put in 10,000 hours for, 10 seconds and in that 10 seconds you know you have to perform and because that's the that's the margin of error that's the window you're in the league or you're not it's a make or miss league and luckily not luckily actually you know I've put the work in to be on the make side of that and so again as I'm getting back into my routine I'm actually being held accountable by some of my close friends and we're holding everybody accountable we started this group called the millionaire mindset club and we we all wake up around 5 15 5 30 um, we have our accountability partner 
and it switches every Monday. So I just had a new one uh, a couple a couple of days ago, and we just we wake up, we talk about our goals, we write, we we speak our manifestations into the into the air. And I've never had a group of people, and these are people I met at Princeton, and you know their extended friend groups, but having that accountability and knowing that there are people out there who have the same mindset and in a whole different field. Some of these people are talking about medicine. Some of these people are talking about the NFL. Some are talking about MBA school and stuff like that, starting their own businesses, investing. If we talk about trading options and things like that, just, just speaking into existence, like things that are inside our head, because there's so much that I want to do in this life outside of basketball, but just sticking to that routine, wake up, like, let's get to it. Beat someone to the spot. If you're going to get in the gym at 5.30 and someone else is getting there at 8.30, you just have, you have three more hours to, to knock stuff out. And that's so powerful. And like, I'm so grateful to have, you know, friends in a group like that and even mentors uh, to, to talk to me about just how they, their struggles and what to do, what not to do, things like that. But yeah, that routine, as consistent as you can be, like as straight as you can be on that line without, you're going to waver, but if you don't waver too far, and obviously what affected me was last January, I wavered like, like I went up 10 miles that way. And I had to come back and that, that two and a half months without basketball really like got me back to that, to that point. And now I'm just doing my best to, to, to stay even. And I struggle still, I struggle, you know, when I'm not getting the call up or, you know, things like that. But, you know, again, keeping my faith high, um, understanding my, the bigger purpose and planning. Honestly, if basketball was taken away tomorrow, I've got, I've come to a point where I, I feel like I, I'm, I'd be good with that. Obviously I haven't reached those goals and, and, you know, it would suck, like, because I love it so much, but it doesn't define me. And it defined me last year, and I was so caught up in that. And when I missed five shots, and because my routine was so consistent, and now I'm not getting the output of my input, it affected me tremendously. But it's not going to affect me, because it's like, all right, let's, let's live the fight another day. Let's wake up tomorrow and have that same energy. So that's really, in a nutshell, why I do that. And if you want to be great, if you want to be successful, I think in any field, you're going to do that. Like that's just what you will do to put in. That's the sacrifice you'll make because not everyone does it. The winner's mindset, man. That's it. That's like everything that I talk about in my Instagram post. <laughs> there, man. You know, uh, the harder you work, the luckier you get. You know, that's just the fact of life, man. And, you know, you've got to put the purposeful practice in for anything you want to do. And you put mm -hmm. the work in. You got to be working when people are sleeping, you know, and, yeah. you know, be the first one up and get things done. Start early. And, yeah, that's it, man. Stay on the straight and narrow, you know. Hey, man. Congratulations on your birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Appreciate it. Congratulations on your Princeton degree where you're going to be uh, Zoom walking in like uh, five days. Exactly. <laughs> Strut, strutting, around the, strutting around the house, you know. And, uh, man, I, I just I see you super bright light in your future, man. I can't wait to follow your career. And I uh, hope we get to meet you in person at a game, man, an NBA game. For sure. I'll get you tickets when, when that happens. Love it, man. Hey, thanks for your time, Devin. I think there's a lot of value here, and I think – you know, a lot of kids are going to be inspired. A lot of adults are going to be inspired too, man. You inspired me. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, man. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Yeah, me too. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Mudgill podcast. The corresponding video can be found on YouTube, IGTV, and Facebook. Let's get it.